breastfeeding has almost become triggering because white women have colonized it. Welcome to Black Girl Voices, a podcast created to cultivate change through conversation, community, and education while centering, uplifting, and amplifying the voices of Black women, girls, and femmes. Here we will talk about everything from trending topics to Black history to our own personal experiences as Black women. It's like a coffee chat with your best girlfriends. You will laugh, cry, keep it real, and most importantly, get uncomfortable. We are your hosts, Siobhan Montgomery Haynes and Caroline J. Sumlin. Come on in, girl. We have a lot to talk about. Welcome back to Black Girl Voices. We are your hosts, Siobhan Montgomery Haynes and, and Caroline J. Sumlin. And um, we, we've got a good episode here for you guys today. We are, um, this month is actually breastfeeding month. Uh, but this week that you are actually hearing uh, this this episode is Black Breastfeeding Week. So we've got some, um, It's it can be a heavy topic, Black Breastfeeding, but we've got some goodies for you guys. Yeah. Really, yeah, you breastfed absolutely. your babies, right? I did. I breastfed okay. both my babies. Um, I breastfed my first until 20 months. And the only reason why I stopped is because I was pregnant with my second. <laughs> I've actually breastfed her through the first half of my pregnancy. So I was like 21, 22 weeks when I stopped and she was okay. 20 months old. And that's just when my milk just finally disappeared. And one day she just kind of realized it was gone and just kind of hopped off and walked about her merry way. And I was like, oh, <laughs> it's over. <laughs> I, at least it was an easy weaning process, you know? <laughs> it was definitely much easier than my second, who I breastfed until a little over two years old. And oh. I, I had to wean her and I still miss it. I wish I could just be... She still goes nookies, 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 and she still Aww. takes her little head and goes like this. And like every time she wakes up, she just grabs my boobs. <laughs> oh, I love that. See, but I love it. And this is what's so great is with t- two different black women here, you're getting two different kind of perspectives of things. So you fed for pretty much two years and a little over two years. And I fed, I breastfed my first for like three months. I had no clue what I was doing. Milk was drying up. I was like, this is for the birds. And then with my second, I breastfed for 14 months, but I didn't, I didn't enjoy it as much. I was ready to Mm -hmm. wean. He was not ready to wean. Um, it was lots of crying there. There there's definitely moments where like I miss, uh, he still very much loves my boobs too. So I totally get that, but yeah, it was, it was different for me. I think a lot of it was mental health related and a lot of it was, you know, education related. Cause I don't think we talk enough about, if you're not prepared, like with, with the amount of education that it takes to kind of know what's going on with your body for breastfeeding, it can be, it can be really tough. Oh yeah. You don't know it. You have to be. And that, that's, that was my issue with that. That is my issue with breastfeeding in general. You can take the black out of it. I don't care who you are with our modern society when it comes to breastfeeding. The only reason why I was successful with breastfeeding is because I, A, I knew I am determined, can I, I'm going to say it like hell. <laughs> I was like, can I curse? <laughs> I was determined like hell to breastfeed. And, and I, I, a few things with that. One, I'm adopted. So I needed, like for me, breastfeeding was a healing for okay. the maternal void that I never had. Number one. 
I'm sorry, the maternal connection that I never had. That's what I meant. I had the maternal void. It's a maternal connection I didn't have. <laughs> so it was a healing for the maternal connection that I never had. Um, number two, you know, I was, I, of course, wanted to help benefits and everything for breastfeeding. And I, there's, there's such a controversy with fed is best versus breast is best. And I understand both of them because when right. you, you know, for example, like the, the literature will, will tell you that you're the absolute, you know, purest form of, you know, whatever you can give your baby is like, especially even if you do, even if you don't breastfeed, like that colostrum in those first 48 hours, right? Because oh, yeah. it's made specifically that liquid, baby, gold. That liquid gold, right? So you, when we, I reading about that, when I, I, I'm an education nerd. So like, I love to research everything anyway, whenever I go into something, I, I have to know it up and down and in order to do it well, like I don't typically just jump in. I'm like, all right, let me like figure this out. So with pregnancy, breastfeeding, sleep training, all of that, I got all the books and I read everything and I signed up for all the classes and made sure that I was really educated. But the thing is, when I started to tell people that I was going to breastfeed, um, especially some of the people that were around me that were um, pregnant with me, or maybe they had already had their babies, everything I heard was negative, everything. Nobody liked it. I was like terrified because every, it's almost like everyone was trying to set me up for failure. Like, it's great you want to breastfeed, but it's okay if you can't. It's a, it's great if you want to breastfeed, but here's some formula in case it doesn't work out. And I understand it. I understand that we're we want to make sure it's safe for mothers to know that if it doesn't work out, they're not a failure and it's okay. Sure. But yeah. on the flip side, that can also feed a negative like you are going to fail at this. So mm. for someone like me who was literally praying in the shower every day. I would pray, Lord, I just ask that you will allow me to breastfeed my baby. I pray that I will be successful. And I was terrified. I was so nervous. What if I fail? What if it doesn't work out for me? Not because I was afraid of failing, but because this is something that I really wanted to do. And I really had my heart set on just for my own healing. And I wanted to enjoy it. And I just felt like it was impossible to enjoy. So I heard the Lord tell me like what to seek out to find people that love breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And I went to um, a La Leche League meeting, which is um, Spanish for the milk league, I guess. And um, I think we have one here, actually. They're everywhere. So they're La Leche League International. They're free. These are things that women don't know about. Um, But because I signed up my 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 classes for pregnancy, I was going to do a natural birth. So I signed up for the Bradley method um, pregnancy classes and. Through that, I received other coaching about breastfeeding. I was told about the La Leche League. I was able to get information that I was privileged to get because I was able to pay for the Bradley Method, which in turn told me about the free classes that I would have never known about had I not paid for, you know, I paid, I think, $300. Some people pay a lot more for the Bradley Method to take. I took, it was like a 16-week class. It's like the only pregnancy class that takes you from basically I think week 20, 21, 22, all the way to week 40. It's the only one that takes you from like that early on and you meet every single week. See, and, and you I learn the ins and out. If I, I, it was because one friend told me about the Bradley method. If it wasn't for that one friend, I wouldn't have known either. Why are these kinds of things not available, readily available? Why is it that the, that the, that the average class that women take for pregnancy and breastfeeding is what's offered at the hospital. And it's like one class. Yeah. It's unacceptable. That's what I had heard about too, with the one class, but already having a, 
a child prior, I was like one, I knew one class was not going to do anything. So Mm -hmm. I just didn't even bother. You know what I mean? But they were also in my area, I'm in Michigan and in my area of Michigan, you know, they would pass out flyers and things like that, but no one ever really told me about kind of like the programs that you were just speaking on or the, the, what is it? The Lecha, the Lecha, the La Le- the La Leche League, La Leche, if I'm butchering everywhere. That, it's called, it's international. There are chapters everywhere, right? But I everywhere. had not known that it was free or else I would yeah. have jumped in that in a heartbeat. And so yep. if people like me aren't getting this, that I know there's so many other black women who aren't getting this. That's what I was going to say. Setting you know them who's up. getting it? All the white women. Because yeah. guess, guess who was in my Lelecha League meetings, guys? All white women. All white I'm women. I'm the only black woman going to this meeting. Now, granted, that could be, I mean, no, I'm not going to say that. Yes, I'm in a majority white area-ish, but I'm also not. I'm there's. It's not where like it was where I grew up. I grew up in Minnesota. That was more white than where I am now, which okay. is in the D.C. area. So I, I can definitely be in a whiter place, believe me, even though Minnesota is not white either. It's not just white, but Minnesota has more white people than the D.C. area does when it comes to just the ratio of different races and stuff. So it's not like there ain't no black folks to come to these meetings. It's that we don't know about it. Yeah. The, the, the access that privileged white women have to the programs and the knowledge, and know-how and everything else. And then, of course, it's in, when we see in representation, when we when we see breastfeeding on social media, when we see breastfeeding um, pictures with our with ring slings and everything, what do we see? We see majority white women. And this that exactly is what I want to jump into because for me, it's it's triggering. Breastfeeding has almost become triggering because white women have colonized it. And yeah. what I mean yeah. by that is. Obviously, breastfeeding, I am not saying that breastfeeding is for Black people only or people of color. Obviously, we know that. So we can move on from that right then and there. What I am saying is the representation of it is all white people. When you see advertisement, as you said, social media, um, these classes, these resources, they're all being offered to white people. And it's almost like even, okay, when you see these experts and things and these um, these events that happen on social media, they're led by white women. And it's almost like, when did white women become the experts of breastfeeding? When when were they the, the end all be all of, of breastfeeding and even baby wearing, but we won't get into that because last time I checked, we were feeding, <laughs> we were feeding your babies. We were nursing your babies. When we were enslaved, yep. while our own babies were dying and being neglected. And for me, yeah. that's what's, it's, it's almost a, I, I read a post, um, I want to say her name is um, State of Mother, I'll tag her in the link, but she had a post about how breastfeeding was almost healing to her because it made her just think about her ancestors and how they were probably mm-hmm. the ancestors who couldn't feed their babies because they were too busy feeding, you know, masses babies. Right. How she could think about how proud of her they were. And oh, for 100%. Me, like, that, that's heavy. That is heavy. People don't and think that, about it, but it's heavy. The the history of our of our culture with, with black women and breastfeeding within the most within the within the last, I would say, a hundred years, is that black that black like elderly when you ask elderly black women about breastfeeding, they think it's gross. They think it's titty milk. They think it's it's right. nasty. Um, if you are actively breastfeeding or you are pregnant or know someone who is, there is a Facebook group called, uh, called black, um, called, oh, geez, 
Is it Black I'll, Moms I'll, Breastfeed? I think no, I'm a part of no, it. No, it's it's uh it's something like that. It's Black 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 Breastfeeding for Black Moms, and okay. we'll tag it in the show notes for you. Um, that was another way that I learned a lot about breastfeeding. Be, be just by I asked lots of questions in that group, and they're um it's run by Black women that are IBCLCs. It's a great community to find Black women that know about breastfeeding that openly breastfeed. That they were the ones that helped me to understand like you know, a lot of women think they have low supply when they don't. These are the yep. things that, these are the things that women are not taught. They're not taught that because your baby is clustered doesn't mean you have low supply. They're not taught that because your boobs are small, that your baby, that you have low supply. They're not taught that there are, that if you're taking fenugreek, it actually is going to make your supply worse. They, they teach you how to stay away from the gimmicks. I Okay, so I know what group you're talking about because I was a part of this group too because I remember all the kind of crazy, crazy things people would say they heard, how like blue Gatorade, um, what is it, oatmeal, fenugreek, all these things are what you need to boost your supply when in all actuality, the only way to move to make milk is to move milk. And right. they would check people in the group and I loved it because they kept it like there was no room for, for nonsense. Right. It was oh yeah. All scientifically proven. Mm-hmm. Everything was science-based. Yes. And it, that is move milk to make milk 100%. I will say there is the diet does have a little play. Oh, for because sure. Because you do it. Like, I know, like I actually did oatmeal smoothies and that wasn't to boost my milk supply. That was just to keep it healthy. Mm-hmm. But I, as I noticed that when I would do you know, making sure that I was getting enough protein and, and enough oatmeal and things like that. Not only was I, of course, making sure I had enough calories to produce the breast milk and I wasn't because like when I was first breastfeeding, I was very faint. I would like almost pass out because I wasn't eating enough. So I had to start making like those smoothies to get enough calories. Oh my goodness. Yes. Um, but I noticed that my milk was fattier as well, which was important because my babies were underweight. So that was helpful. But, yeah. um, but I, I actually did learn that in like in the group, but I learned about like the, the mother's milk tea, the lactation cookies, all those things, especially with like fenugreek and fennel and all those things. Like they actually make your, your, your breast milk, like that your breast, your, your milk supply will, will go down. I learned, I learned about the top off trap, the, the, the formula top off trap where when women think, oh my goodness, my baby's so hungry. I'll top them off with a bottle of formula, how that's actually contributing over time to your supply dwindling and that you end up giving you end up having to switch and most women will say to themselves well oh my goodness my, my milk supply just dried up and that's because they were caught up in the top off um and it's it's like it's just it's that it's that education that should not be the like literally climbing through hoops to get to get that to it, I yeah. find myself, I, I, I know it was God that gave it to me because I prayed for it. I, I found the books to read. I found the, I mean, I, I, I was, I was able to, but I had to go through all this work. I had to hear it from this person, hear it from this person, da, 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 find the group, do all the Googling, find kellymom.com, read all the articles. Like I'm literally making it my full-time job to become, to get like some sort of unofficial degree in breastfeeding just so I'm successful. And it should not be a full-time job to do that. We should, all of the information that I had to get from 18,000 different sources should be readily, should available. Be readily available. We should have I, free IBCLCs that come out to every single woman's house that are paid for by the government, paid for by your insurance. There, it should be regular routine for the first six months, uh, excuse me, six weeks of breastfeeding, at least, 
I would say for the free part, at least for the first six weeks, we should have postpartum doulas that come check in on us or postpartum midwives that come check in on us every single, like all of these things should be readily available to us as women, of course, but especially for black women. It's it, we, all well, these women, people want to talk about being pro-life. This is pro-life right here. Right. Support. Black babies are live or, or, or lives too. You know, for those of you come who on now. forget, um, I think one of the things that I personally kind of wanted to touch on and I feel like I kind of experienced this in the hospital I noticed that the I don't know if they're necessarily lactate they work for the hospital um so they're certified lactation consultants but I noticed that they're they're very quick to push things on you when I I had just given birth to my son via c-section and the minute he came out the womb they had told me his blood sugar is low we're gonna have to give him formula and I was like hold on now he just came like he just came out like no, we're not giving him formula. And they had told me that several times before he left. And I had to, I had to keep my stance. Now, mind you, you're already vulnerable after you give birth, you're in a very vulnerable state. So having to continuously advocate for your baby is an added stress. And I just remember how many times I had told the staff, like I, his, if his blood sugar is not dangerously low, we're not giving him anything. Because for them, it was like, it's a little low. We want to give him formula. It's a little low. We want to give him formula. And then on top of that, I had a lactation consultant come in an hour after giving birth and tell me that I needed to start pumping, putting up, hooking up a pump, which is a very, I don't know I, this, the, I, if you are about to have a baby or you just had a baby, you do not need to hook yourself up to a pump for nope. at least four weeks. I'm going to say until you go back to work. You don't need no pump. You need that right. baby on your breast. That's all you, you need don't need it. Breast. For it, you don't need it till you go back to work. But if you want, you do not need to touch that pump for four to six weeks. I don't know why they push it in the hospital, or maybe it was just my hospital. Maybe I had a bad run in with the lactation consultant. But she, sis, was pushing me. We were an hour out, and she's like, "There's nothing coming out the pump." I'm like, "Yeah, well, first of all, colostrum is is thick. It's thick, it's so right. it's hard to come out the pump. Second of all, I had a baby via C-section. My body's still trying to signal." you know, to make milk. And third of all, I just had the baby. Like, mm-hmm. They so don't even need to like eat that. that much in the first 48 hours. It's, there's a no. lot of misinformation out there. And that just so because much. they are in the hospital and they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're a, a lot of times the nurses are lactation specialists, not IBCLCs. There's mm-hmm. a very big difference between a lactation consult, a, a lactation specialist and an IBCLC, which is an international board certified lactation consultant. So you want to make sure that you're only receiving your information from an IBCLC number one and number two, like a therapist, like a doctor, see different IBCLCs until you find the one that you like. If right. you are able to, because unfortunately, you know, as much as we want to say what our society needs to do in order to make us successful, they're not going to do it. So we hopefully in this ed- in this episode are going to are giving you guys those of you that are you know mothers that are in that stage of life, um, giving you something that you can take with you that if you do want to breastfeed, if you do desire to breastfeed, that you are able to um, take some of these pointers with you. So we're, we're hoping that this episode will, will give you, you know, maybe some pointers and tips if this is a desire of yours to breastfeed. Um, and of course, we'll also just spend a little time talking about how you don't have to at all. We'll talk about that too. Um, but just like you search for a doctor, a therapist, search for an IBCLC. If you can look for some that are in your area um, before you have your baby, like while you're pregnant. First of all, go see to your local. Let me see if you can find a, a, a black one. You know, that very, I, I if you, if you can, you can. Yes, <laughs> for sure, 
you can definitely hop in that one Facebook group and see if there's any local ones in your area. Oh, I would idea. definitely look for your local La Leche League meetings. I attended two of them while I was pregnant to get some information. That was really, really helpful for me. Um, and then I continued attending after giving birth. They met, um, I think it was twice a, twice a month, which is great. Every other whatever. Um, and they have different times so that if you're, you know, a working mom, then you can come in the evening or if you're at home, you can go in the morning. I, I, so that was really helpful. Um, and then I would definitely, like I said, like shop around for an IBCLC, check your, um, pediatrician because sometimes your pediatrician's office will have a certified IBCLC as one of their PAs or nurses on staff. And then I was a part of a, a practice for my, for my um, pregnancy is called physicians and midwives. It's local to where I am, but there might be something similar to where you are. It was the only physician. It was only midwifery practice. They were not, they were not, um, they were not, uh, they were not, they were nurse midwife. No. Yes. They were certified nurse midwives, but I forgot the other kind of midwife is it's not a nurse, nurse midwife, but the nurse midwives have a combination of a midwifery ability, like the, whatever certification that makes you a midwife, as well as the medical part as well. So this practice is covered under insurance as if it's an OB, they have OBs there in the oh, physician's part and they have midwives and they have like, you know, the room to have your sonogram and everything right there, like everything in that one office. And then they have a, they had a partnership with the hospital that we, um, that I gave birth at. And that particular hospital is like one of the only hospitals in the area that's a very baby what's called a baby friendly hospital, meaning like they advocate for everything is in room. Everything is we're, we're a breastfeeding friendly. Like we, we help you breastfeed first. They don't, they never pushed formula on me at that hospital when I was, had just given birth, even though I had the same problem. Both of my babies were IUGR, which is interuterine growth restricted. So they came out, Avery was like, not even, shoot, she was not even five pounds and she, and I, I had her at 38 weeks. She was very, very skinny. Aww very tiny 16 inches like super tiny like creamy almost thing little little (laughs) tiny thing and they did not push formula on me they pushed breastfeeding they were like you got to breastfeed this baby to get this weight on her and with the blood sugar we did have to test her blood sugar every two hours but instead of pushing formula they actually showed me how to hand express my colostrum so I could put it into a syringe and then give her that every I think I had to give it to her every hour or hour and a half or something like that so finding the the resources I was willing to drive out of my way to go to the hospital that I knew was going to be an advocate for breastfeeding so that I could be set up for success and not be told I was going to fail. But it takes so much work to find that and that shouldn't be how it is. But I was going to say, the reason you had to do that was because you're a Black woman and you know that you can't just go to any old hospital right? because already you're dealing with the obstacle of just being a black woman and and facing medical racism yep you know or having them not respect and honor your wishes just already so then now you're adding this layer of you know what you want you know you want to successfully breastfeed and you know that it was going to be 10 times tougher Mm -hmm. to just go anywhere and have them honor that on top of just treating you humanely yeah yeah and you know what's interesting too is that hospital is uh, the nurses there that are all IBCLCs are predominantly black, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, now all of the doctors there and all the midwives were white. Um, the midwives are obviously coming from a different practice. They all fed into this one hospital, but the nurses there 
were all black. And it was, I mean, and that, that was the best experience to have black nurses coming in. Some of them were from Africa. Some of them were from Haiti. Some oh, of it was all complete different. It really was. And, you know, having them, you know, bring my baby to help me, help me to get those first latches and everything else and, and helping me be successful and, and to not have someone push the formula again, not that formula, like we let's, you know, definitely transition to the other side of this, which is the, you know, the pressure to breastfeed and everything else. But like, it is important to equip us women, black women specifically with the knowledge of breastfeeding, because like, um, our, our friend, our Instagram friend from at state of the mother was saying like, Breastfeeding was colonized. Breastfeeding is something that the Black community right now, the elderly Black community, frowns upon because we were taught that it was dirty. We were taught that it wasn't. We, you're, you're taught that for, they were taught historically that formula was for you know if, if you if you do formula, you're rich and you're white and you're you got right. it you got it right. You got so it together. you got it together. So breastfeeding has such a negative stigma within the Black community. It is an act of resistance to openly breastfeed your baby. And, and, and do so successfully. But the only way that we can do so successfully and actually enjoy it is to have that education, is to know if you're wincing and you're crying in pain, something is wrong. So right. you should not be feeling pain. You need to have the support to be able to see an IVCLC until it gets right, which I had to do with both babies. I had to see an IVCLC multiple times, back and forth trips to my IBCLC to get that latch right. I had to learn about oversupply. I had an oversupply. I had thrush. I had all of these problems that came my way. All of it is so, it's terrible. It's terrible, right? But if you don't have the support and you don't know what the heck you're doing or you don't know what's going on, you don't know why you're in pain. You don't know why your baby's choking at the breast because the milk's coming. You don't know that information on your own. You have to have that support. I didn't find out that Clifton, my, my youngest, I didn't find out he had a shallow latch. That was, that was what, where my pain came from until, I mean, I ended up 14 months. I found this out at like 12 months. Finally, mm-hmm. someone has, was like, the way his mouth was, I had showed a vi- I'd showed a video to someone and I want to say it was somebody in that group, that same um, black breastfeeding moms group. And like we said, we'll link it because it's very, very beneficial, but I want to say I had posted a picture and someone had messaged me about the way his mouth was and my nipple not being far enough in his Mm -hmm. mouth, causing a shallow latch, which was pinching my nipple for 12 months, right? So 12 months of cracked nipples because I'm having cracked nipples, you know, way past, you You know, never had a bleeding and also feeling the pressure to push past this, right? Because mm-hmm. I I don't want to fail. I don't want to fail because that's that's the other part that we're going to get into is is society then frowning upon women for quote unquote failing. Right. Yeah. And, and you should have never had to go. There's no reason why you didn't you 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 should have found you there, there there's no good reason to find that like 12 months like that's terrible. That's absolutely terrible. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. And so many women have to go through that because like I said, I'm over here with all this knowledge, but I didn't just pop it into my head. I read several books. I went to all these meetings. I had to go find it to know that breastfeeding, if if there's pain, that that meant something was up, that that meant the lack of shallow. You know, I had to do all that, but women are dealing with, mothers are dealing with postpartum hormones and everything else. The last oh, thing we yeah. need to do is, is get a college degree in breastfeeding 
(laughs) Like that's right. That to just to be able to feed our children, like that's not okay. So for no one to have been able to tell you that for you to not have that support that you needed at your fingertips. So you could have fixed that problem so fast and and your breastfeeding journey could have been much more, much better. It's just unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Our society. Love you, society. Don't love you at all. Not at all. Hate you. Not at all. We're bettering it. We're bettering it. I'm I'm just going to keep telling ourselves that. That by the time that it's time for our children to be the ages we are now, it will be a tad bit better. I sure sure do hope so. Oh, Lord. But But let's get into, I guess let's get into like society's pressure then to to not stop because like as I mentioned um I had postpartum depression I I would probably say it nine Clifton was nine months old when I was actually diagnosed I had suspected it but I kind of you know the first couple months it's it's very possible to just be baby blues and your your hormones are still leveling out I mean something that they don't tell um mothers in general is uh that postpartum can happen for months and months after you have a baby you know it just doesn't happen in the in the two years two years two Mm -hmm. years so you know by month six I'm like what's what is happening to me right because I'm like still sad and I'm I know it's not baby blues but then also there goes the education piece I'm like "Eh, aren't I a little far out to be having postpartum depression finally Mm -hmm. started therapy and I get like I get 100% diagnosed at nine months with my therapist. Okay. So on top of now postpartum that I have been battling throughout this nine months, trying to raise this new baby, I am breastfeeding. But as we mentioned, I did not have the smoothest breastfeeding journey. However, in my mind, I did not need society to see me as a quitter because it sounds... it it sounds crazy, but those little perfect black box or those little perfect boxes that we see on Instagram, the little perfect squares and the little highlight reels that we see of everybody's stories, the little, you know, the good parts. All I saw for me was women that were enjoying their journey. And I didn't wrong with me. I hated it so much. Now we know it's, you know, a lack of education, a lack of support, but why I hated it so much. And so I just kept going. I kept going in spite of, I kept pushing, I kept pushing. And I am now still healing from the repercussions of me not focusing on my mental health because of, because of wanting to be seen in a certain light by society. Mm, I mean, that's, I, yeah, I, I, I hate that that's something that like literally all, like, I don't think there's not one person that is untouched by that, that or a similar experience, regardless if it's through breastfeeding or any other aspect of motherhood. It's, it's, it's very, it's very, it's very, very toxic. It's very toxic. Instead of feeling like we can be seen and heard through social media and other aspects of society, but I would say specifically social media is, is, is a big, a big part of that. I mean, there's, it's a blessing and a curse because in some ways you could reach out and you could crowdsource and you can get some information and someone might be able to right. help you. But on the other hand, because we live in a society that, you know, it, that basically, um, what's the word, uh, favors perfectionism favors 
what other word I can't come up with in it right now that has to do with perfectionism, but essentially perfectionism, progress, success, not failing, et cetera, right? We right. live in a society that 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 favors that so much so that, you know, pretty much almost everyone is willing to lie in the sense of creating that yeah. highlight reel on Instagram that makes them that that amplifies gussies themselves up as a detriment of somebody else's mental health not knowing that somebody else on the other side of another phone screen is looking could at that same photo from their transparency right could i a, benefit from it but but what i was going to say is, uh, is on the other side of that phone screen is actually suffering mm. because of what they what that picture you know looked like um and that's one of the reasons why i started the business that i started because women were suffering mothers were suffering and I don't think I'm very good at much in this world, but one thing that I can say that I'm very good at is get it, gathering information and then like sharing it. Like that's just, I don't yeah. know why, but I just, I'm able to do this, like download it and then like spit it back out in a way that's really digestible. Digestible. Yes. I was just about um, to say you are so good at, at like gathering the facts and then giving it to even me, like telling me, Hey, this is what happened in a way that I understand it. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. And guys, by the way, if you hear my kids screaming in the background, sorry. <laughs> this that's is mo- we're, that's motherhood. This mom, we're mom, mom life. You know, we're we're doing this. Um, we almost we almost called this the Black Mom Chatter podcast because we're two <laughs> black moms. Right. If it if it wouldn't have been her, it would have been me. I have two very rambunct- rambunctious boys. So, but yeah. So that's why I started my business the way that I started my business because I saw women were suffering, and I'm very good at taking knowledge into my head and regurgitating it in a digestible format, which is like the only talent, the only gift that the Lord gave me is that one. I asked to be a singer, but he (laughs) said, no, I'm going to make you guys just girl. He gave you writing skills too. Don't play. Don't be humble (laughs) on this podcast. If y'all have been to her Instagram, you know, that girl can write. See what everybody else sees, but thank you. Um, but anyway, that one today. Um, so I, I saw that, you know, Women are suffering. Women were suffering with not having the knowledge about even like I was I was really good with sleep training. I was really good with learning how to navigate breastfeeding and sleep training and creating routines and figuring out a system for actually not hating life as a mom. Right. Um, with I actually felt happier and way more successful with my first and I did my second but not with bre- just in general with I actually experienced postpartum depression more so with my second than I did my first because my first was easy like I got the breastfeeding down I slept tra- I sleep trained her she took some naps I had my two hours to myself I had all the way until one to I didn't two go back- who people don't oh, talk about totally one to different. two especially when you're when uh you have a, a, a child that turns two and then two days later you have child number two that oh, was me. goodness they're two years, two days apart. That's been fun. But um, yeah, so I, I saw that like, you know, women don't have someone that's out there, you know, giving them this, this knowledge, information to understand, like, it doesn't have to be this hard. Like you can take control of your motherhood in a way that, that feels good for you in whatever way that looks. And that's what I specialize in doing, helping moms figure out what do you want motherhood to look like for you? And now how do we get there? And that, yes, eat all the things that you felt like you couldn't control, you can. If you want to figure out how to be a good breastfeeder, awesome. If you don't and you feel like this is not worth it and not working for your mental health, then don't do it. 
If you want to strictly pump and you're loving that life, do that. If you want to, you know, feed formula at work, but you want to breastfeed at home, your boobs will adjust to that too. You, there's a way you can make anything, not anything, but almost anything work for you if you have the right know-how and knowledge to do so. And, but no, most importantly, the, 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 I don't really ask what society says, I'm going to do this my way kind of thing. And that, that's the biggest thing right there, because the only best way to parent your child is the way that works best for you. And that's it. Hands down. All right. of these mommy wars, all of this, well, you need a breastfeed, you need a formula feed, what are you doing? Oh, you're gosh, a sleep yeah. trainer, you're a bad mom. Baby led weaving. Like, that's the problem. That's the actual problem right there that makes women have actual panic attacks and anxiety and depression and feeling like a failure because they chose not to or were not able to breastfeed. And that's I think all from society. I think what you said is something every single mother listening to this needs to ask themselves. What do you want motherhood to look like for you? Emphasis on the you. And when you figure that out, even if you're about to be a mom, when you figure that out, especially new mothers, when you figure out what you want it to look like for you, also be willing to adjust it at different stages of your life because Lord knows. Lord knows life will throw you some, it'll throw you some bones. So be willing to be flexible in what you want your motherhood to look like, but also model it for you and you only. Yeah, that's good. And I think that that's really important because there's a, when I was like, people, I wasn't necessarily telling people, but like, for example, I would go to work every day and read a book about sleep training. And like on my way to work, I had it on my desk. So every time I had like a little moment that I could just like steal away to read, I would read it. And I had colleagues of mine tell me, why are you reading that? You can't control nothing. The baby's going to do what the baby wants to do when it gets there. You're just going to, you're going to throw that book out the window. And essentially the same thing with the breastfeeding, very much just like kind of discouraging me from. Didn't work for them. It's not going to work for you. Not going to work for you. And that's a very toxic mindset. Like, it's kind of like when Tabitha Brown says, if you can't have a good, a, a good day, don't go, go and mess with somebody else's. I know Amen. it's so hard and painful when something doesn't work out for you. And it's hard when you look at somebody else and it's working out for them, mm. but do not project what didn't work out for you onto somebody else. Instead, encourage them That's and good. be like, yeah, that didn't work out for me, but like, you're like, you know here here's how I can help you help it work out better for you or even or if you don't have anything to say about that then it's like just don't like that that's okay like you know what I'm saying but I guess it's right like, like uh, essentially you can cheer someone on who's succeeding at something you did not necessarily succeed at right exactly it's okay mm-hmm. so with motherhood we're really quick to tell mothers like oh you know same thing with the birthing plan like I had a birthing plan that I had to kind of throw out the window with Bradley Method, I was really set on having a natural, I mean, I don't like the word natural, but unmedicated is the right term. I was I was set on having an unmedicated birth. I was set on going to labor myself. I was set on laboring at home for the majority of it and then only going to the hospital towards the, the latter half of that so that I could be in a comfortable environment. Um, I really wanted to allow my body to work the way it was supposed to. I had studied everything or whatever. And then I was told at 37 weeks when my baby was breached and I had to go in for that lovely version turn where they turn the baby inside her stomach. That's fun. Oh, I mean, but my Bradley method 
the techniques I learned made that version turn work for me. Okay. It was, it was mm-hmm. painful, but it wasn't that bad because I was able to breathe through. But anyway, so I learned on during that day when I went in for the version turn that she was IUGR and that I had to be induced at 38 weeks. So everything that I had planned for quote unquote went out the window, went out the window. But at the same time, if I, if I had let somebody stop me from taking my birthing class, because none of that ever works. You don't know, hold it loosely, throw it out the window. A lot of that negative energy, not in the way of like, yes, be flexible, but have a plan because your plan can still serve you in that, in the flexibility. When you, when you need to be flexible, you have a plan and have an idea and have a vision, have a mission, then you can bend that a little bit, but still allow it to work for you and still have somewhat of like a control. But when you let the idea that nothing ever goes as planned dictate you and you don't even do it in the first place, then you invite even more chaos. And I wouldn't have had the knowledge, just the knowledge of labor that I had from taking those birthing classes, the knowledge of breastfeeding, leading me to La Leche League, all those things, even though I wasn't able to use those techniques, allowed me, you know, that that led me to where I was able to still be somewhat successful in the things that I wanted to do, even though I had to alter that plan. So it's like, yes, we want to, you know, we want to encourage mothers to like, know that when things have to change, it's okay. Your children are always changing. They're always growing. Literally every single week, a new routine, a new pound, a new whatever. Every and child every is child so is different. different. Oh my goodness. But it's okay if you say, I want my motherhood to look like this, or I do want to breastfeed and I really want to be successful at it. It's okay to say that. Right. It's okay to, to go out and figure out what you need to do to be successful at it. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to seek those resources. And I will say for all the breastfeeding moms out there that love it, it is okay to love breastfeeding because mm-hmm. society, a lot uh, because a lot of the, the attention is on mothers who don't like breastfeeding and making space for them. I actually think the mothers that really love it and are successful with it feel a little feel left shame. out, like almost like feel shame for feel enjoying shame. it and feel successful because, oh my goodness, like. I, I, I feel like I did something wrong because I actually really enjoyed this thing that nobody else likes. And oh my goodness, I don't want to hurt anybody or offend anybody. So I'm just going to keep my little joy over here. We need to see more mothers breastfeeding with joy. That's going to help other mothers that are coming along worried and terrified about what their motherhood is going to look like and see when you see a mom that's like, hey, this does feel good, but let me bring you along and show you how I was able to make it feel good. Not just take a perfect picture and say, look at me, my perfect motherhood, cheese, and then make you feel shame because that's not like you. It's about, you know what, it feels good, but here's how I got it there. Here's the thrush I fed through. Here's what really worked for me when my night was sleepless and I couldn't figure it out or whatever. Here's the tool that I use. Exactly. That's what we need more of. Because, that will make a difference. Uh, and I think that's that right there is important. Like what you said, giving the tools, because if you just show me a pretty picture and I don't know how you painted it, right? then I don't really care to, to try to that's recreate good. it myself. That's good. You know what I mean? I don't know what tools to use. I don't know what paintbrush, what paint. If you want me to recreate this picture, no thanks. Right. But when you sit down and you give me the tools and you say, here's where I got the paint. Here's where I got the paintbrush. Here's the technique I used. This yep. is what worked for me. However, you can tweak this and this and this to work for you. Then I can recreate my own picture. That's just as beautiful. That's so good. That's so good. And it'll look different. But like you said, just as, as beautiful, beautiful because you have because it's mine. tools and because right. it's yours. And because yes. it's mine. That's so good. Ooh, That's so good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so passionate about breastfeeding. 
so passionate about it. I mean, like I mentioned, it was a huge healing thing for me because I, I didn't have the maternal connection. So it so, was big for me. It's so crazy because I'm telling my story, but I know that if I have any friends listening to this episode right now, they are, they're probably surprised because though my own journey was hectic, I was the biggest advocate for all of my friends. Every single person who had a baby after me, every friend, I was like, this is what I learned afterwards. I then tried to pass on the tools that I learned Mm -hmm. afterwards. Like I was like, this is what worked. This is this whole, you have to drink, you know, this and this for your milk, your milk to come in. You got to move milk to make, you know, I'm now eager to pass on the things that I know were successful for me to then help their journey. And I think that's what we have to start doing just because something didn't work out for me or just because something doesn't work out for you does not mean that you cannot cheer on the person that's about to follow into that journey. Right. Yeah. And I know some listening to this, I know a lot of moms feel touchy about receiving unsolicited advice. And I get that too, because a lot of people are like, you know what, like, this is my work. I'm the mom. Like, yeah, you are. Right. Only, you know, your baby best. If you are not in the mindset, the frame, you know, to receive any, you know, any advice or anything like that. And that's okay too. But I would also challenge us to be more open to advice. I mean, for the people that are on the giving end of the advice, always make sure that, that, that the mom, especially with, you know, hormonal things and everything else that's going on and not having a lot of sleep, like make sure that mom is in the position to receive like, Hey, are you, sure. you know, would you, would you be okay if I did tell you something that I noticed? Don't just insert yourself into a situation as a know-it-all, blah, 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 blah. Just kind of being you know, rude and proud and haughty and, and make that and other forcing mom just go enforcing it on them. Exactly. Um, but on the other hand, you know, when we're giving it in a, in a loving, graceful way, then on the receiving hand, like receive the help. Don't be too proud to beg. Like do not oh, be yes. too proud to beg and ask for help. I've been too proud and it'll take you down. Okay. Right. Yeah. You, we've got to get back to the village. Right. Yeah. We've got to get back to the village and that's on the receiving and giving the giving like, where you don't mind giving to someone, even though maybe someone didn't give to you, you don't mind giving to someone because you know that motherhood is a village. And then on the receiving end where I don't know it all, I am okay with receiving advice because I don't know it all. We've got to get back to that. Yeah, absolutely. We do. Um, I think this is a good episode. I, I, I hope that the women listening to this are encouraged or anyone who's accepting, who's, who's um, not accepting, that's the wrong word, expecting. Um, a baby, whether you are, you know, a woman, you are, um, you know, non-binary, whatever the case may be for you, of course, you know, of all genders, um, if you are expecting a baby and you expect to breastfeed or chest feed your baby, then, um, you know, and, and you are, and you are black listening to this, even if you're not, you know, even if you are not black, I hope that you still receive something that helps you to a advocate for your black brothers and sisters, black, black sisters, excuse me, specifically black sisters advocate for your black sisters. Um, you know, bring like use always, 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 if there's anything that you can get from our podcast is that if you are not black, if you are white specifically use your privilege to, for the benefit of, your black brothers and sisters, more specifically your black sisters, because that's what we're talking about here. If if you're in these groups and you're hearing about all of these resources and, you know, just like you said, you would have never heard about like the Bradley method if, um, or, or those classes, if someone didn't tell you, if you're in all of these groups and you know that there's information shared 
in those groups that could help you know black mothers or just I mean mothers in general but specifically black mothers because we already know that the information isn't shared there as commonly share it share the link share where to get it share the courses share you know or even donate sometimes an act of activism is donating donate so that someone can take a class yes donate for sure for sure offer to if you have the extra funds and paying mm. for classes and lactation consultants etc cetera, etc cetera, is nothing for you then this is a form of reparation reach out to somebody or or <laughs> offer in a in a facebook group and say hey three four whatever black women that are, aren't able to pay for a postpartum doula aren't able to pay for a lactation consultant aren't able to pay for the bradley method i love this class i would, I would like to, to i would like to endorse you for you to be able to do it that's mm. that's what we need to see more of because again, as much as we we know that the government should be doing this for us, we know they're not. So we mm. we can't wait for them. So we got to do it for ourselves. And I know that we can. Um, but for for sure, that's what we that's what we have to see more of. So I, I hope I, that I, this was encouraging for you guys because not only encouraging but but um educational for you all um to be able to take take this knowledge and be able to really empower the black breastfeeding community and make it better for, for, for everyone. Right. And, and we also hope that you just kind of understand why the focus is here, why we have to have these conversations. So if, if you got anything out of that, I really want you to kind of understand why we talk about black breastfeeding specifically. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And we're going to have more information about black breastfeeding week on our Instagram page this week. So definitely come follow us over there because we'll be um, doing like an educational post about it and just, um, you know, a few more posts that we'll talk about Black Breastfeeding Week, why it's important, why it matters, why we we have to have a week that highlights Black Breastfeeding. It's not enough just to have World Breastfeeding Week and call it a day. We have to have a week that highlights Black Breastfeeding because our representation is not going to be amplified. Our voices are not going to be amplified. Um, our stories are not going to be told. Our, our challenges that are very unique to us, the cultural um, the cultural trauma around breastfeeding that we are trying to break, that we're trying to heal from, that we're trying to restore, all of that is not going to be talked about um, if we don't have a specific week to highlight Black breastfeeding. It's very important. Like I said, Black, black women breastfeeding is an act of resistance, pure resistance, hands down. Um, and we want to make sure that we have all the support so that this is this is literally one of the best ways that we can work on decolonizing um, all the things we have to decolonize this is definitely one of the most beautiful ways that we can do so. So for sure, definitely come follow us so you can find out more information. Absolutely. Well, we enjoyed chatting with you guys and that wraps up, wraps up this episode and we will talk to you guys next time. Thank you for listening to the Black Girl Voices podcast. If you loved today's episode, we would love it for you to leave us a five-star review. If you would like to support our work, visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash blackgirlvoices or head to our show notes for the link. Lastly, we would love to hear from you. Come follow us on Instagram at blackgirlvoices and say hello. Remember, you are heard, you are seen, and you are loved. Your voice matters. You matter. See you next time.